0: Take your Bibles, if you will, and enough of this chit-chat, and um, open them with me to Deuteronomy chapter 34. Deuteronomy 34. We're going to read the whole chapter, but it's short. So you stay with me as I read the entire chapter, uh, all 12 verses. That means we begin at number one. Give attention to that which is inerrant, infallible, inspired. The very mind of God is black words on a white page. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 34 at verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, The Negev and the plain, that is, the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees, as far as Zoar. And the Lord said to him, This is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord and he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor but no one knows the place of his burial to this day Moses was was 120 years old when he died his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated and the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days and the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended Joshua the son of Nun was full of the spirit of wisdom for Moses had laid his hands on him so the people of Israel obeyed him as did and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and there was not and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses whom the Lord knew face to face None like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God It endures forever. Moses is dead. The great leader, the great lawgiver, the great mediator of Israel is dead. The one who who brought Israel out of slavery, out of the house of bondage, out of Egypt, he's gone What are we supposed to do now? Do we wring our hands? Mop our brow? Pace the floor? I mean, no one, no one was as great as Moses. Why? Why we're lost without him. What are we going to do now that this great leader is dead? And not only that, there's this raging river that lies between us and the land that God promised to give us. Are we, are we stuck? Are we ruined? You know, guys, one of the things that I think we all have to learn, all of us, is... Um, is that when a great man of God dies, nothing of God dies with him. Nothing about God dies. You remember the story um, back? This is in the New Testament, back in the life of Jesus, when when um, it was during the last week of his life, and on the first day of that last week, it's called Palm Sunday. Or the triumphal entry. You remember uh, Jesus enters Jerusalem riding on the, the back of a donkey and people lined the streets and were waving palm trees. And they said, uh, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that that story? And um, And the scribes and the Pharisees come to Jesus and they say, listen, listen, listen. We don't like that song. I mean, that's got real messianic overtones to it. And we don't like them singing that. So, so you, you need to tell your people, whomever they are, you need to tell them to stop singing that song. We don't like that song being sung by those people. Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing. Jesus says, okay. I I, I can get them to stop. But if they stop singing, the rocks are going to start. Guys, my, my point is, the same is true of... Of spiritual leadership, God, if He chooses to, can make leaders out of rocks. Now, normally, He He chooses to use more human material. He takes uh, He takes a man, a nobody. He uh, pours out His Spirit on him, and he becomes a giant. Somebody that. Um, in and of himself is not particularly special um, accompanied by indwelt by dominated by his spirit he becomes useful. I want to introduce you to a man like that um, a man just like that kind of a nobody that God raised up to be quite a leader his name is Joshua and, and I bet you've met him before. I mean, I bet you know the name Joshua long before I just mentioned it. Um, I mean, I bet you, I bet you like I did uh, was introduced to Joshua back in Sunday school. And that is, if you were raised in the church, uh, you remember you remember Joshua. I mean, we we were taught a song uh, as children to sing about Joshua. Do you remember that song? Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho 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 Joshua fit the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down 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 remember that song I won't sing the second verse but uh, that's the one we were singing about ladies and gentlemen that guy Joshua this guy this guy that uh, we're going to spend some time taking a look at over the next few weeks. But if you've never met Joshua, if you don't know who this guy is, if that name is new to you, if you were never taught the song, if you don't even know what Jericho is, then you're going to love meeting this guy who in a lot of ways was a nobody, but he became a somebody by the domination of God's spirit in this life. He became exemplary in 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 a lot of ways. His book, the book of Joshua, which really is the next page from the text that we wrote, that we read, his book is far more than just a a historical account. There's there's a whole lot more to the book of Joshua than just biography. There's, There's a lot of lessons that I hope to learn with you as we take a look at the book of Joshua over the coming weeks. For instance, men, we can learn to be better men from Joshua. People can learn a whole lot about spiritual leadership from Joshua. Christians can, can, can learn a, a, a lot about what living in faith looks like from Joshua. And we can all learn a whole lot about Jesus Christ, who is always, solely, fully, passionately, uncompromisingly, wholeheartedly, unwaveringly, unquestionably, continually the hero of every story in this book. And so to him we'll turn, that is to Christ. We will turn to learn about him again and again as we study this this Old Testament book that goes by the name of its hero, Joshua. Now Joshua doesn't exactly appear all of a sudden in in biblical history. In fact, um, when his book opens, Joshua is um, 80 years old or so. Um, when when this event occurs that I read out of Deuteronomy 34, Joshua is about 80 years old. Um, so in verse nine, when Moses is laying is when we're told that Moses laid his hands on him, by no means is is Moses. Ignoring a Pauline principle of laying on hands too quickly, or to someone who is too youthful. Um, Joshua is eighty years old or so when when he is put into this position by Moses. By the way, if this whole idea of laying hands on troubles you, I mean we do it here when we are ordaining elders. Um, it was done to me when I was ordained to the the gospel ministry, the the imagery behind laying hands on is really out of, um, Leviticus 16. You you know what happens in Leviticus 16, don't you? (laughs) I jest. Uh, Leviticus 16 is the day of atonement. And you know, when the high priest goes in the holy place and he slurs that goat and that bull and all the blood and all that business. But there's something that he does when he comes out of the holiest of the holies he takes his hands and he puts his hands on what is called the scapegoat. Remember that? And the imagery behind that is that he is transferring all of the sins of Israel to this goat that is now set free to roam and run in the wilderness. Symbolizing the idea that sin has been born away way gone well it's 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 that idea that moses has when he is laying hands on joshua he is it's a transfer it's a transfer of the spirit of leadership from moses to moses's long seasoned replacement that's what's taking place in verse 9 of deuteronomy 34 But Joshua's story begins long before that. He first appears in Exodus 17. Exodus. You know what that book's about, don't you? That's when Israel just began her whole march out of Egypt into the Promised Land. Well, Joshua shows up first in chapter 17. That's where his name is first mentioned. And we need to think of Joshua's life in three sections. There is the section that we're going to study... Which is recounted for us in the book of Joshua, which we'll read some from next week. But that's really, in terms of sequence, the third section of Joshua's life. Um, The first section, in terms of sequence, takes place in Egypt. Joshua very probably was born in Egypt, in bondage. His father was a guy by the name of Nun. I'm not saying that he was a child of nuns. I'm saying that his father had a name, Nun. His grandfather was a man by the name of Elishama, from the tribe of Ephraim. In fact, Joshua's grandfather led 40,500 people out of Egypt during the Exodus. When, When Israel was leaving Egypt, one of the generals was his grandfather who led the tribe of Ephraim, 40,500 strong, out of Egypt, across the uh, Red Sea, uh, and and then into the wilderness. We're never told that Joshua ever experienced the lash of, of an Egyptian whip. But we are told at least this much that Joshua experienced slavery. He um, he at least experienced watching his dad or his grandfather, or maybe both, come in from the fields after a long day of laboring without straw for their Egyptian captors. That's the first section of his life. The first section of his life is spent in Egypt. The second section of his life is the period after they leave Egypt and before they enter the Promised Land. The wilderness section. You know, that 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness, that's the, that's the middle period where Moses is still in charge. That's the middle period of Joshua's life, and during that that section, guys, Joshua by no means is hidden from us. He appears in about seven, maybe more, incidents while Israel is still in the wilderness being led by Moses. Could I, I want to mention just a couple of three of those events that occurred while Joshua was under Moses while they're in the wilderness. Still with me? Three quick events out of this second section of, of Joshua's life. The first one. Rephidim. Now you know what happened at Rephidim. Exodus 17, guys. You know this story. Most of you do. It's the it's this account of Israel's first real battle. That is war. Once they had left Egypt. Um, Amalek had very Cowardly begun to attack the stragglers in the rear. And so Moses, seeing that, appoints our boy Joshua to head up the army and go fight Amalek. That's the first time that you see him, by the way. And um, so he goes to this battle with Amalek. And and the story that occurs that many of you know is that Moses is up on a hill overlooking the valley where the battle is taking place. And while Moses is up on that hill, when Moses' hands were up, the battle went in Israel's favor. But when Moses got tired and he let his arms fall, the momentum of the battle would shift To Amalek and so seeing that two of the elders of Israel come and sit on both sides of Moses and hold his arms up so that the battle can continue to unfold in Israel's favor but guys think about that for a second here's Joshua out there leading the army And he sees this ebb and this flow of of the battle. And notices when his arms are up, I'm winning. And when his arms are down, I'm losing. Joshua is learning a lesson. And the lesson is that the outcome of this battle doesn't depend on the size of my biceps. That is, it's not my expertise with the sword that is going to win this battle. There's a third player on this battlefield. Very frankly, the battle is going to be won or lost up there on that hill where the mediator is. my victory says Joshua is in his hands not mine if 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 the mediator fails then I fail but if he wins I win so then the first event in the life that we see with or in the life of Joshua. Joshua is learning a lesson about this third player on the battlefield. It's not just Amalek and Israel. Oh, there's another. The the second event that takes place in this middle section of, of Joshua's life, while Moses is still in charge and Israel is out in the wilderness, takes place at Sinai. Now, you know that place. That's where the law was given, you know, Sinai. And um, did you know the story that Moses goes up on top of Sinai and he stays there for 40 days? You do know, don't you, that as he started his climb up Sinai, he takes 70 elders with him, but he says, y'all stay here at a, at a certain elevation. He takes only one person further up than the 70 elders, But then he leaves that person at another elevation while he goes still further. You know who that one person was, don't you? It was Joshua. Joshua spent 40 days alone too. Apart from the 70 elders, apart from the people of Israel, and apart from Moses. So when Moses is done, and he leaves, after he's gotten the Ten Commandments and he's going back down... The guy that's accompanying Moses down the hill is Joshua, and they both hear something. They hear a lot of raucous behavior, music, and you know laughter and uh, joviality, and um, they don't know what's what's happening back there in the camp. And so they think, well, maybe there's been some kind of victory. Maybe there's, well, we don't know. But when they get close enough, they see that God's people have taken gold and fashioned it into a calf. And do you remember what happens next? Moses is enraged. He takes the, the Ten Commandments, the tablets, and throws them down and breaks them. Remember that? But that's not all he does, ladies and gentlemen. He then gets the golden calf and he grinds it into powder and then he mixes the powder with water and he makes Israel drink it. And and Joshua watches as Moses displays this fury Against sin. And then he notes. God never once. Chastises Moses. For his fury against sin. Not even a little bit. Not even a little bitty chastisement. Now Moses. Nothing like that. And he learns of God's inflexible hatred against sin. And perhaps he wonders, what are are we ever going to do about this problem of sin? Why? Why? There is no enemy that is as serious or as threatening or as ugly as sin. However, will we deal with it? I guess I'll have to wait to learn that. Because I see that the thing that led to moral and social breakdown... was sin and then there's this third incident that i want to mention and then we'll move on but of course this is the third of the seven or eight or nine incidents in the middle section of joshua's life that happened while moses is still alive and they're out in the wilderness But here's the third one and you know about this one too kadesh barnea you ever been there neither have i um, it's a little south of the Dead Sea. I, I only made it as far as the Dead Sea. But Kadesh Barnea is a place. It's a, it's a great event in the history of Israel. It uh, is recounted in Numbers 13 and 14. You remember the story. Kadesh Barnea is 11 miles away from the Promised Land. Israel has made it 11 miles um, from the Promised Land. They're, they're, they're real close. And so God says to Moses, send out 12 spies. Each one, each tribe represented, send out, send out 12 spies and go spy out the land and see what we're up against. And you know what happens. Ten of the spies come back and give the majority report. And the majority report is this. We can't do that. We can't go into there. Why, why did you know that there are the sons of Anak in there? Why, the problems are enormous. Why, we can't, we can't take that land. And so through their unbelief, they discouraged the rest of the camp. And then two fellows step forward and say, oh, yes, we can. One of them is Caleb, which we ought to look at at another time because he's very impressive himself. The other one is Joshua. Because you remember back at Rephidim, I told you that in that battle he learned a lesson about a third player on the field of battle. And Joshua thinks, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I know they're big and I know we're limited, but there's a third player. And as long as he's with us, we'll be fine. Ladies and gentlemen, if you were taught in Sunday school that Joshua is a model and an exemplar of courage, you were taught wrongly. It's not courage. It's just faith that might lead to courage. It's faith that if God is pleased... I don't care how big those walls are, we can do this. Guys, it took Israel two months, when they left Egypt, it took them two months to get from Egypt to Sinai. They spent a year at Sinai, and then for the next 39 years, Israel wandered around in a barren land, dying, all because of unbelief. And they were only eleven miles away. Forty years have passed since they left Egypt. And now Moses is dead. Which brings us to Joshua. Guys, in, in the midst of um, this this climactic drama that unfolded Kadesh Barnea with the twelve spies, Moses apparently noticed something about his understudy. And and I'm telling you guys, it would be good if you could see this. So if you've got your Bible still open. If you can find numbers, real, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. It's the fourth book in the Old Testament. If you can find numbers real fast, and let me show you verse, uh, chapter 13. This is where that story takes place. Numbers 13 and 14. The Kadesh Barnea, the 12 spies story. But I want you to see something. (coughs) As we wrap this up. Um, look at chapter 13, verse 16. These were the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. Here we go. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Guys, Moses changes Joshua's name. See, his his real name, his given name was Hosea, which means salvation. Moses changes his name to Joshua, which means the Lord is salvation or Yahweh saves. And with that little stroke right there, ladies and gentlemen, you get a hint. You get a hint as to how you're supposed to read the book of Joshua. You get a hint as to the future, not of Joshua, but of the one to whom Joshua can only point. Because, ladies and gentlemen, as you may know, centuries later, another Joshua would arrive on the scene. Did you know that? Did you know there's another Joshua? Because, you see, ladies and gentlemen, Joshua is the rendering of a Hebrew term. The Greek equivalent for the Hebrew Joshua is the word Jesus. Do you know that the parents of Jesus were Joseph and Mary? You know all that, don't you? Well, when the angel came to Joseph and says, uh, you know, it's okay. Go ahead and marry her. This pregnancy is not a bad thing. You go ahead and do it. And by the way, when the boy comes, I want you to name him, says the angels. I want you to name him Joshua. But they spoke in a Greek tongue. And the Greek word was Jesus. Yahweh saves. And everywhere Joshua failed, Jesus would succeed. And that sin which Joshua couldn't deal with in Israel... Jesus would. The the mediator that would win the ultimate battle against the foes of my soul. Jesus would win that. And Jesus would be the one who would safely lead his people into an eternal rest. An eternal promised land. And Joshua merely points us to his New Testament counterpart. So when you're studying Joshua, you're getting little hints. You're getting little insights. You're getting a fuller understanding of The New Testament, Joshua. Guys, um, it's significant, I think, that uh, on the death of at the death of Moses, God did not appoint seventy elders as a committee to lead Israel. Rather, He chose a man whom He had prepared over a period of forty years, and a good leader he was. However, as good as he was, he failed and he needed a savior who would not come for another 2,000 years, one who would have the same name as Joshua, but whose job it was to lead Israel not into Canaan. But it was Jesus' job to purchase a people by his death and to take them to be with him forever to a to a heavenly Canaan. And not only that, our text tells us that Moses, the great leader of God's people, the great lawgiver the great mediator, Moses. Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. Why? His sin. I think it's Numbers 21 where he was told to speak to the rock and he struck the rock. Do you remember that? Just to let us know God doesn't take anybody's sin unseriously. Your sin, mine. None of us get away with our sin. He punishes it, but He punishes it in another. And who is it that he punishes for my sin? It's the one to whom Joshua can point us. The Old Testament Joshua with a little J needed the New Testament Joshua with a big J. And so does Moses. And so do you. So do you. My friend, your biggest enemy is not this recession. It's not your neighbors. Your biggest enemy is sin. And the only savior from sin is the one to whom Joshua can only point us Jesus Christ you know guys I'm sorry that I didn't um, tell you how to fix your marriages today or raise your kids or um, or how to manage your finances how to spend your time. We can talk about those things. They're not not that they're bad at all. But ladies and gentlemen, if that's all you ever get from the proclamation of the gospel, then it's like rearranging the deck furniture on the Titanic. If you miss Jesus Christ. I worked out Friday and I had this guy just chew my ear off. I mean, I enjoyed talking to him. He's a nice guy. But he was belly aching about his church. And um, he was saying, what we need is more sermons about how we can manage in this world, you know, how we can understand this world. And, and, and I need more things that I can apply to my life now. But ladies and gentlemen, if all I do over the course of my ministry is help you manage this life, I have done you an extraordinary disservice because this life pales into insignificance next to that one. And that one is only entered through Jesus Christ. Father, I do pray that you will use Joshua to remind us of the beauties of Jesus, that you, will, um, that you will help our souls expand as we discover the beauties of a man who is just as flawed as we are, a man who, whose need for Jesus Christ is just as great as mine is. And so, Father, might the hero of every story, the point of every sermon, the object of every lesson be Christ in him crucified. Might people see him always, only, solely, fully in all that we do. And for those, Father, that you brought here this morning who have not yet met him, might they waste no more time with dabbling with tomfooleries as they neglect their souls. Might they lay hold of the free offer of the gospel of Jesus Christ made to whoever believes might they find themselves embracing that great gift of eternal life now. Do that for Jesus' sake.